once again as we come to you live for two solid hours of the best in professional wrestling, live from the Disney Angeon Studios in Orlando, Florida. As always, the capacity crowd for the two hours that have set the standard in our sport. Hi, everyone, along with the living legend, Larry Zabisco. I am Tony Schiavone. In this two-hour program, two title matches, including the Giant defending the WCW World Heavyweight title against Arn Anderson of the Horsemen. Rey Mysterio Jr., the Cruiserweight Champion, will defend against Eddie Guerrero. In addition, a tag team match, the American Males, to go up against two men who hope to become World Tag Team Champions at Hogwild. We are talking about the Steiner Brothers. That's later on in this two-hour telecast. World Championship Wrestling over the past couple of months in the ring, and as we found out last week in the Control Center, has been under attack unmercifully from these men of the New World Order. But what it shows me, Tony, is the New World Order. They're very well calculated. They're picking their spots. They're busting into control trucks where little skinny guys who can't defend themselves are sitting. I don't like it, I don't appreciate it, and if these punks look back at history, they will discover that if they do not study the past, they will be doomed to repeat it. Good point you brought up that they picked their shots. Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our chronological breakdown of World Championship Wrestling's flagship show where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the southern front of wrestling's Monday Night Wars. I'm your host, Tim Root, and with me, as always, is my broadcast colleague, Dave Amantorp. Dave, how are you doing this week? I'm doing great, even though it it feels like we've been in the same place for Nitro forever I mean, it's mostly because it's been there's gaps between when we record episodes. But I'm like, seriously, it's another episode here. Yeah, we have <laughs> been hanging out at Disney MGM Studios for quite a while. Uh, this is the last week, I believe, and then we're finally off on the uh, road as we continue to build towards uh, Road Wild on August the 10th. And not only that, it seems like every week it gets even hotter. As far as like, <laughs> like the guys are just sweating like crazy. It doesn't look comfortable or anything like that. It's just, I mean, again, we've talked like at length about like the reason why they did this, but still, it's just like, come on, let's get to a real Reno one of these days. Well, before we get too much into today's action, I do want to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at 20 years of nitro. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash 20 years of nitro. And you can email the show at 20 years of nitro at gmail.com. Today is July 29th, 1996, and we are coming to you live, as mentioned, from Disney MGM Studios just outside Orlando, Florida. This is the 46th episode of WCW Monday Nitro, and uh, one of the two remaining episodes before Hogwild. So we're only going to have one other episode of Nitro before we get to Hogwild. Yeah, and I feel like that's still at the same place next week. I don't know. I can't remember for sure. I Nitro I, next week? Yeah. No, we're. Uh, I forget where it's from. It's from like somewhere weird, like Wyoming, or it's it's in a surprising oh, spot. Okay. But it is not. It is not at MGM. We're done with that after this episode here. <laughs> that w- that would be good. That would be good. <laughs> we kick off with a hyped up Tony Schiavone who welcomes us along with the living legend Larry Zabisco. He runs down a bit of the card, saying that tonight the Giant will be defending his WCW title against Arn Anderson, and the American Males will square off against the Steiner Brothers. Those are the only two matches that he plugs, and neither will actually take place on the show. 
Well, then they also mentioned that Rey Mysterio Jr. will be facing Eddie Guerrero for the Cruiserweight Championship. He mentions that at the beginning as well. Oh, okay. He, I knew he mentioned it later. I guess I didn't catch it at the beginning. But yeah, yeah you're right. They do play. And that match also <laughs> does not take place. <laughs> right. I also just wanted to mention, as I like to mention pretty much every week, that uh, we still have the red and yellow Hulk Hogan in the intro and also the spiked hair sting. So it's looking really dated now <laughs> for both of the guys. And it's just, you know, I'm. it just seems like such a simple thing to fix because they they got rid of vader like they can do it it's not like they can't remove those guys so yeah given that we may be headed towards a title change at the pay-per-view maybe they're waiting until uh he's got the belt on him and they can have a nice image of him with the black and white holding the belt and then insert that in the right intro. yeah and I, I i tried not to really bring this up very much because i don't want to like play spoiler or anything like that but yeah. just looking at that championship match at hog wild wouldn't you think just as a regular fan that there's like a really good chance storyline wise, it makes sense that, that that Hogan will go away with the belt. Absolutely. I mean, that's the impression I get. Like, I, I just don't see a scenario in which it's like the NWO guys end up losing, you know, it would kind of shoot the group in the foot there. It's too early for them to lose anything like that. Yeah. I assume that he will win the title and I assume that the outsiders will win the tag team championships as well. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm, fairly sure which one of those goes i'm i'm less sure on the tag team championships i honestly don't know um, but i'm assuming going in yeah as someone who did not kind of watch this back in the day like you did i'm assuming that the outsiders are, are getting those straps um they're actually not facing the champions at hog wild oh that's right booker t and uh yeah harlem heater the champions yeah they're just facing sting and lex okay mm -hmm. so i guess they're gonna win that match would be yeah, I would think so. You know. Yeah, thanks for clarifying that. You're absolutely <laughs> right. And like we and like I talked about last week, I really feel like the outsiders coming into this nitro have been kind of put on the back burner a little bit. Absolutely. Um and and their match with Sting and Luger, I mean, if it wasn't for the Hogan and Giant match, it would easily be the top match and it just seems like they don't it's kind of an afterthought. It's more it's more about like what are they going to do tonight on Nitro, not like what are they going to do when they actually have a second match at WCW. So, um just something I kind of thought about going into this um, to see if the outsiders maybe get a little bit more hype individual from Hulk Hogan. Larry talks about the calculated and sneaky nature of the New World Order, only he makes a big deal of calling them the New World Odor. Right. He is very, very proud of that line, as we will see mm -hmm. uh, throughout the show. But it's just even the way he delivers it this one time, like he really makes a meal of this like one three word oh, yeah. phrase. He, he wants you to like really pay attention that he's saying this very funny thing. Right, right. And and when I think of, like, inspiring rally cries for WCW, the first that comes to mind is New World Odor yeah. by this Larry Zbysko, who... Uh, I don't, I don't, th I don't know how many notes I meant, but he he went into business for himself a lot, particularly this week. So, look forward to that. <laughs> Tony then shows us some footage that the NWO apparently sent over, which shows Hall and Nash attacking Sting in the parking lot after WCW Saturday Night, which was taped actually last week after Nitro, but which aired a couple days ago on Saturday Night. Okay, I just kept thinking it's like, of course they didn't see it coming because they didn't expect the Outsiders to be at. Saturday night that <laughs> because they weren't <laughs> <laughs> and also I was like this looks like it's outside this looks like it might be in the same place we are right now <laughs> but I yeah I thought that the uh the video was kind of goofy that like it's like Sting doesn't notice that there's someone like just around the corner there with a camera that seems to have like lighting behind it too <laughs> also you know in kayfabe Saturday night is not a taped show 
So they have to tell us that even though he was like attacked viciously and left for dead two nights ago, Sting, he's actually fine. You know, tonight he's not going to sell those injuries or anything tonight. So they've got to be like, oh, yeah, look at this, this dastardly vicious attack. But also he's fine. He's totally fine. Right. So when you see him later and he's fine, don't even think about it. It's fine. Right. It's fine. Everything is fine. <laughs> Tony then tells us that we're set for tremendous action, which is a hilarious choice of words, given that we're about to get Jim Duggan versus Mike Enos. <laughs> and I wrote, good God, they're testing us from the very beginning. <laughs> Out first is Mike Enos, who does have, I think, a pretty cool Old West theme. I, I don't remember. Okay. I've I, got to be honest. Don't remember. Yeah, no, I actually <laughs> thought it was kind of neat. Tony points out that Robert Parker is not with him and talks about the continued problems between Rough and Reddy and their manager over Parker's relationship with Sister Sherry. Facing off against Enos will be Hacksaw Jim Duggan, much to the disgust of Larry Zabisco and me. <laughs> I also made a note that was like, oh, God, that fucking tree. <laughs> yep. There's a tr- I, I don't know if, if you're not someone that's been watching these shows, but... Uh, when they're we mentioned in, it last week too. Okay, yeah, it just <laughs> it just annoys me to no end that like in their entrance way there is literally a tree that's just like right in the middle and they always have to walk around it. It just it's just goofy as hell. Tony says that later we're gonna get a six man tag with Mongo, Flair, Benoit versus Sting, Lex, and Randy. Tony reminds us of the question left hanging from last week: Where was Ric Flair and was he in the limo with the NWO? Mm-hmm. Hacksaw comes out and gets in the ring, and the crowd chants USA for a guy who is trying to hit his opponent with a 2 by 4 before the bell even rings, which is a pretty good metaphor for America, if you think about it. <laughs> I do think about it. Once the bell rings, Enos is the one who gets the advantage with strikes, but Hacksaw gets an Irish whip and a hip toss before dumping Enos to the outside of the clothesline. Enos has a little temper tantrum, while Duggan gets more USA chants going because, hey, it's been 20 seconds. Right. Also, I don't know if this is more towards the beginning, but... um. Tony Giovanni mentioned something about like in the in these uncertain times of WCW that to not trust anybody. And Larry Zbysko says, hey, I'm the one who says don't trust anybody. Yeah, that's you're the one who coined that phrase, Larry. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just an example of like, yeah, I know you're trying to sell the storyline, but also let's remember how important I am. They then do a spot where uh, Enos gets whipped off the ropes like several times, and every time he goes into Duggan, nobody sells, like nobody goes down. And look at these oh. shoulder charges. We're so tough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They stare each other down and then hit headbutts with more strikes. Enos misses a haymaker, leaving himself open for an atomic drop as Larry repeats his New World odor joke already. <laughs> We're like three minutes in, and he's he's already going back to that well. <laughs> right. Hacksaw charges at Enos against the ropes, but Enos ducks and pulls the top rope down and dumps Hacksaw to the outside. He goes to joint Hacksaw and gets a scoop slam on the concrete before the action returns to the ring. Enos hits a double sledge to the back and a corner charge, which Hacksaw barely sells, instead coming out of the corner with some punches. Enos levels Hacksaw with a big forearm and a standing leg drop. He slaps on a chin lock, but no chin lock can withstand 400 tourists chanting USA, and Hacksaw <laughs> soon escapes and nails some strikes on Enos. He then whips Enos to the opposite corner and charges, but Enos gets a knee up and then taunts the crowd, much to the consternation of Larry Zabisco. He's always like, you gotta pin him! You know, he, right. he can't... He is the heel announcer, but he has to pick on the heels when they do stupid things so that you know Larry Zabisco is smart. Right. He's not a stupid heel. He's a <laughs> right. smart heel. <laughs> It's time for another chin lock and more USA chants. 
Larry says the production area is guarded by five SWAT guys tonight to avoid a repeat of last week's invasion of Hall and Nash. Larry then nitpicks with Enos's chin lock for some reason as Duggan escapes. Duggan hits some more punches, because why not, and tries to whip Enos off the ropes for a back body drop, but Enos kicks him to the mat. Enos then hits some bad-looking headbutts onto Duggan's back that Duggan can't really see or feel because of their <laughs> positioning, so he doesn't really sell them. <laughs> right. And that's not that's not Duggan's fault. No, it, <laughs> no, no. Of all the things that <laughs> are, that, that one was not. <laughs> Which is a phrase I've rarely used. <laughs> Larry says that Enos should throw Duggan into the four empty seats that are right on the hard cam. And I hope those uh, are going to be part of an angle later, because otherwise WCW left four empty seats on the hard cam in the first goddamn row. Right. And then called attention to it. <laughs> right. We get a double sledge from Enos, who then chokes Duggan with the rope, which only fires Duggan up. Duggan, of course, hits more punches and then sends Enos into the ropes. The two men collide and both go down, and I'm not exactly sure why. I think Hacksaw hit a shoulder tackle, which Enos correctly sells by taking a back bump. Mm -hmm. But Hacksaw also decides to sell, even though he hates selling above all things. Right. I, it was really, I, I didn't understand why both <laughs> men went down. But Jimmy Jett starts a standing 10 count, which both men answer. Enos takes control of the double sledge, but when he goes for a back body drop, Duggan counters it into a sunset flip, which Enos kicks out of. Tony points out the four empty seats again, so I'm guessing that they are going to be a plot point. Enos gets a two count off something I missed because I was looking at the empty seats that they yep. keep talking about. <laughs> Not your fault because <laughs> they're like, hey, look at these empty seats for a while. He works a reverse chin lock and hits a suplex before going to the top rope. He comes down with a flying double sledge or splash or something, but Duggan moves and he eats Matt. Hacksaw gets up and no sells some punches before hitting some of his own. Enos gets some kicks in the corner and soon Jimmy Jet moves him back, allowing Hacksaw to tape his fist. Wait a minute, that's a foreign object, cries Larry. I don't know if it is or not, says Tony. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I, I don't know, it's something about his just just totally casual lying was really funny to me. Right. Especially because he's the baby face. Yeah. He's supposed to be appalled by this kind of thing. <laughs> I did I did really like that line. He's like, No, it is illegal. <laughs> Why would you suggest it's not? Hacksaw nails Enos and gets the one, two, three victory. Jimmy Jet races Hacksaw's hand in victory, uh, and he's he's hanging the non-taped hand, but Hacksaw's just other hand kind of goes up with it, and there's mm -hmm. an entire roll of tape hanging off of it. <laughs> and Jimmy Jet actually does like my favorite moment of the whole show, where he looks at the tape, looks confused. Looks at Enos lying on the ground and then just walks out of the ring. <laughs> so he's like, well, I ha I saw it. I can't just pretend I'm not seeing this. So right. I better do something to make the crowd know I'm not a complete boob. <laughs> but he can't he can't change the storyline. So he's just like, huh. huh. Well, what can you do? Right. <laughs> well, that's wrestling for you. Uh, this wasn't really a good match. And, and certainly it's questionable to put it on as your opener. Uh, but the crowd did like Hacksaw, and they did like chanting for him. Mm -hmm. um, and and honestly, I was expecting this to be, like, real shit, uh, especially because in the Wrestling Observer, I, which I read, I happened to read before I actually watched the episode, uh, Dave Meltzer called this, like, a contender for worst match of the year. Huh. I thought it was not a good match, but this was not a, like, hey, check out this comically terrible. This wasn't uh, Joe Gomez versus Mongo McMichael. Right. It was light years better than that. Yeah. So I was kind of surprised to hear that it got slagged off that bad. What would you think? Uh, 
I I didn't really have I didn't have a whole lot of thought going <laughs> into this match. Um, you know, I, I I think they the idea is like Jim Duggan's always popular no matter what, and so it was like, well, if we send out Duggan for the first match, then we'll get the crowd kind of hyped up with the USA chance and everything. But I I just don't see what what other purpose this match really had, especially since. Uh, Enos has like the kind of angle going on with Colonel Robert Parker and they didn't advance that whatsoever tonight yeah. besides yeah, it like didn't come up at all. Yeah, besides like Robert Parker wasn't there, but it didn't seem like Enos was bothered by it. So I, I didn't really see what purpose this served other than like people like Duggan, it's a good way to get the show going. Yeah, I, I it's gonna be a theme for tonight that there's one thing they thought of for tonight. And everything else is to fill time around that thing. Yes. Yep. Um, I absolutely and, agree. <laughs> and it happens immediately from the onset here. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's because, you know, they think that that thing is going to be so big, they don't want anything else to happen that you're just going to forget. So everything else is forgettable by design. Maybe I'm giving them too much credit by thinking that, but. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> everything ends up centering around a single, like, two minute moment. Thank you very much, Tony Schiavone. Ladies and gentlemen, we are live from Orlando. This is Nitro, and there's a lot of things happening. Very heavy security, by the way, I should point out, around this particular facility here at Disney MGM. Hacksaw Jim Duggan coming off a victory. Highly questionable, but I think we've got other things to talk about, namely the New World Order. What's your take on what's going on right now? Hold on a sec, folks. Hold on a second. You know, everybody's... Just wondering, Hawk, what have you done? What have you done to us? Not just your friends, not just your family, not just your countrymen, but as fans, Gene, the young kids that really looked up to you, that really believed in your Hulkster. I've been with you for almost 20 years. I've gone to the Make-A-Wish Foundation with you. I've been to the Special Olympics. I know what's in your heart. So what's wrong with you, Hawk? Why turn your back on everything that you used to love? Why turn your back on everything that loved you? I don't understand. I had you over to my home. Jeannie's held my two little girls in his arms. The first word my oldest spoke was Hulkster. I've got to look her in the eye and tell her what kind of man you are. Hulkster, you're a great technical wrestler, but I don't want to wrestle you. I want to beat you up. All right, I thank you, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I'm not certain we can use the analogy, but it might be appropriate. You take a good apple, you put it into a basket of bad apples, and well, enough said. Stay tuned as WCW Monday Nitro continues here on TNT. Mean Gene is in the ring along with Hacksaw. He calls the win Duggan just picked up highly questionable, and Hacksaw actually raised the taped hand and kind of looks disgusted with himself for a second. He's, <laughs> He's like, like ah, you're, you got me there, Gene. <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way. As longtime friends of Hogan's, Gene asked Duggan for his take on all this NWO stuff. Duggan gives a surprisingly good promo on Hogan. He's genuinely baffled why his good friend, who was such a good person, is acting this way. He says that Hulk has held both of his daughters, and one of the first words of one of his daughters was Hulkster, which is completely improbable, but okay, I'll go with it. <laughs> and now he has to look that little girl in the eye and tell her what kind of man Hulk really is. He calls Hulk a great technical wrestler, which yeah. is <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> uh, but he doesn't want to wrestle Hogan. He wants to beat him up. Uh, and that's, I mean, it's very short, but... And, and some of the lines like, Hogan's a great technical wrestler, are goofy, but... 
his emotion was there, and I liked the mm. overall. Co- I I thought this was a real good good promo. It's a, it's an interesting promo because it's like probably the best promo I can think of when it comes to Jim Duggan, but also has one of his most notorious lines, which is <laughs> Hogan, you're a great technical wrestler. Which <laughs> I know people when it comes to Duggan that gets brought up a lot. It's like, yeah, he called Hogan a great technical wrestler. <laughs> but no, I thought it w- I thought it was uh, it was really good. It's kind of weird that they're doing these promos that, like weeks after he turned. Like right. these are these are the kind of things where it's like I want your immediate reaction to what Hogan did. Yeah. Um. But no, it, it's also good that like they're trying to make sure that every guy in WCW is like invested in the storyline too because idea of the nwo being against all of wcw that means all wcw should have an opinion about it gene then wraps up and somehow thinks that the metaphor about one bad apple spoils the bunch he actually thinks that it's about a good apple who goes into a basket full of bad apples and then gets bad and now it's time for a commercial As we go to commercials, uh, I notice the company, they can never decide if they want what they want to go to commercial with. They Sometimes they do the bumper promos. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they do little like clips that fill us in on storylines. Uh, last week, for the last few weeks, it's been bumper promos, but today it's clips again. Uh, because today we see Arn Air Anderson peering into that window of the limo. Oh, yeah. That's what we see as we go to commercials. So mm-hmm. we don't get a little promo from him. We, that's what we get. Back from break and Flair's music plays and the Nature Boy comes out along with Mongo, Benoit, Woman, Deborah, and Liz. Woman is in a white pantsuit with a black bustier under it and this is two weeks in a row where she's looked incredible. <laughs> yes. She is on fire on these shows. <laughs> Meanwhile, Larry gives us the third iteration of New World Odor. Oh. <laughs> Deborah is walking uh, notably in front of everyone else, which I, you know, I, I don't think that's by accident. I think she put herself there. Just making a little power play. And she's walking with both arms in front of her, arms bent, doing the four horsemen symbol. Um, but she doesn't separate her fingers on the four at all. So it looks <laughs> like she's just like, behold the backs of my hands, everyone. Or th- th- it was like, um, behold these long gloves I'm wearing. Yeah, yes. Because I either Tony or Larry makes a comment like, those are really long gloves she's wearing. <laughs> and... <laughs> Just the way that she holds her arms like that the entire walk down mm. makes it look like someone who just had arms like installed and they <laughs> they just haven't got the hang of these things they, yet. They, what have do I, to, they have to thaw out first. Yeah, everyone's looking. I don't know what I do. <laughs> the baby faces all come out to a man called Sting. Macho Man is in green and black and Lex in black, of course. And Sting is in a hideous blue and orange combo that fucking sucks. <laughs> A full-on Donnybrook immediately breaks out at ringside as the bell for some reason rings, even though, like, none of the guys are even in the ring yet. Mm -hmm. Macho Man and Flair go crashing into a bunch of handicapped and old people sitting in the front row. (laughs) I think this is maybe uh, why those empty chairs were there. I think either A, we're supposed to wonder if the NWO are going to show up, Uh or B, it's like these guys were planning to fight in the front row and wanted a place they could crash into without hurting people. Sure. But they just end up crashing into these people anyway. The front <laughs> row of these shows, as we mentioned before, it's all old people and disabled. It's the handicapped seating. Mm-hmm. So it's like the people you especially don't want wrestlers just crashing into willingly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Mago and Benoit fight Savage off, and Rick escapes as the melee continues with Lex coming to Randy's aid. In the ring, Sting catches Rick and hits 10 corner punches on him. Well, outside the ring, Benoit and Macho fight, as do Long- Mongo and Lex. We go to commercial to Larry's dismay, as this brawl is very much ongoing. 
Tony says if the match ends during the commercial, they'll show us what happened. But the match is like 40 seconds old and most <laughs> everyone's just fighting on the floor. So oh, right. not really worried about that. <laughs> we go to commercial, which includes a Blood Runs Cold uh, promo again. So uh, yep, yep. keep that on your radar. <laughs> it, we're still technically in the month of July. You know, he could could show up any moment now. <laughs> And when we come back uh, from commercial, the teams are separated into opposite corners, and the bell actually rings again, so I guess now we're double officially underway. <laughs> right. Sting and Benoit start off with a lockup. Benoit gets in strikes in the corner before Sting reverses an Irish whip and gets a back body drop and a clothesline. Benoit takes in Flair, and Sting goes to take in Macho, so Flair just knocks Macho to the floor before the tag can happen. Stinger backs Flair into a corner and hits some strikes before sending Flair to the opposite corner, where he goes up and over before walking to a punch from Lex. Macho meets Flair down on the floor and runs him into the VIP section. They fight a bit, sending fruit everywhere until Flair dives back into the ring. But things don't go any better for the Nature Boy in there as Sting catches him with a scoop slam, causing the cowardly Flair to get this, Dave. He literally begs for mercy. What? Can you believe that? 13-time champion? Oh, it's humiliating. Flair gets an eye gouge, but Sting is able to soon take in Savage. Randy points at Liz, so Flair jumps down to the floor and kisses her right on the mouth <laughs> just to rile up Randy. But Liz seems genuinely shocked. She immediately like covers her mouth like, oh my god. And I don't <laughs> oh. think she enjoyed that at all. The sweaty, coked up nature boy just <laughs> jumping down there and planting a big one on you. <laughs> when Flair is back in the ring, Savage takes over with strikes and ten corner punches until Flair stomps off. Flair gets halfway to the, uh, like, back before Macho catches up with him, and Flair begs him some more right there in the aisle, but Randy isn't having it. Yeah, there was a point where Ric Flair tries to hide. Yeah, he tries to hide behind, like, the bleachers. <laughs> right. It just It's just around the corner. It's not really much of a corner. <laughs> he's just... I think he realizes that, like, he's gotten way too far and Randy hasn't caught up with him, and he's yeah. like, shit, I, don't, I can't go any further than this. Right. I can't go beyond the tree. <laughs> Savage leads Flair to the back to the ring, and it's tagging time, so in come Lex and Mongo. Not a combo that inspires confidence. Right. <laughs> Lex manages to get a Luger chant going, and Mongo looks nervous as hell. The two ring generals lock up, and Luger gets a side headlock. Mongo powers him into the ropes, and Luger crashes into a back elbow from the Super Bowl champion. They lock up again, and Mongo gets a side headlock this time until Lex pushes him off, and Mongo, who is somewhat bent over from the push, very awkwardly goes through the middle and top ropes out onto the floor where he's meant to just bounce off the ropes. It it had the potential for him, like, landing on his head or something awful. Yeah. Uh, but the ropes slow him down enough to prevent any kind of injury like that. And everyone managed to sell this as intentional. I think Tony says, like, he sh Lex shoved him out of the ring, which I, technically is what happens. <laughs> right. Once McMongo is back in the ring, they go immediately back to the side headlock with Mongo controlling Luger over to the heel corner so he can tag in Flair. Luger no-sells some Flair chops and hits a press slam on Rick. In comes Benoit, but he's nailed by a forearm. Mongo, as usual, does not come in to help. Like, any time right. the heels come in and help their team, Mongo just does not get the memo. Mm -hmm. Luger gets a vertical suplex on Flair for two, so Larry nitpicks his pinning form. Right, because of course he does. Flair tags in Benoit, who quickly takes control, kicking the shit out of Lex in the corner. <laughs> the ref backs him off, and Randy just interferes like a heel for some reason, and Nick Patrick has to restore order. Benoit tags in Flair, who is working a surprising bulk of this match. You'd think that's more Benoit's job on this team. Mm -hmm. 
Also, there was a point when Benoit was wailing away on Luger in the corner yeah. I, that I could see Luger trying to call moves. Oh. And I was like, the idea of Lex Luger calling moves to Chris Benoit <laughs> is pretty funny. Luger clotheslines Flair and brings back in Sting, who bites Flair's forehead and then hits a hip toss and a dropkick. Gross. Flair thumbs the eye and goes to the top rope, and Sting gets a superplex, but Benoit stops the subsequent pin. Flair dumps Sting to the outside. Sting comes back into the ring with a slingshot sunset flip, but Flair is just within reach of his corner, so he tags in Mongo. Mongo drops an elbow on Sting and then a vicious clothesline in the corner. He follows with a backbreaker and looked decent for three whole moves, so he knows it's time to get out of the ring, <laughs> right. and he tags in the Crippler. <laughs> Quit while you're ahead. As a Stinger chant starts up. Benoit gets Sting with a side suplex that Tony calls a back body drop, which those are basic fucking moves, Tony. Come on. <laughs> right. That gets a two count. <laughs> Tony runs down War of the Card, and this is where I first picked up on him mentioning Rey Mysterio defending his title against Guerrero. Mm -hmm. uh, also, he says the American males are going to face off against the Steiners. Sting and Flair do some mat-based wrestling, trading pins, reversals, including the bridge up from a pin, which I always think is awesome looking, and a back body drop. You know the bridge I'm talking about? Guys laying on top of another guy, they, um, their feet are in opposite directions, and He's the guy on the bottom is holding the other guy around the waist and oh. then they bridge up simultaneously. And that's usually when they kind of twirl around to do the backside of doom. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's just uh, the strength it shows from both guys bridging up like that. Yeah. From that awkward position. I, I just always think yeah. that looks cool. That so. to me is always I've always kind of thought that was like always underestimated as far as like that takes a lot of skill. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> a lot of skill and a lot of strength. Yeah. Flair chops the back of Sting's knee and locks in the figure four. Tony sells how Flair is the master of this move and how many people can lock it on, but Flair's is extra painful. Flair slaps at Sting, who gets fired up and turns the hold over. They roll a few more times until Flair manages to get to the ropes. He tries to lock it on a, a second time, but Sting rolls him up for a two count. Benoit comes in get, and gets a single leg takedown and then drapes Sting's leg on a rope and stomps it a few times. He hits a snap suplex for two. Then he locks on the walls of Jericho, like the original old mm -hmm. version of the walls of Jericho. It's yeah. definitely what he's got on here. Yep. But Luger comes in to break it up. Benoit tags in Flair, who does some more chops that Sting no sells. Suddenly, Jimmy Hart is running around ringside screaming like a madman. Yep. Flair to the attack again. Flair to Whoa, the attack. Whoa, rampage. Jimmy Hart Jimmy just Hart. What, 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 what are you? I almost nailed him. Don't run past That's 
Marcus Bagwell. All the, all, everybody's left the ring here, and th there's Rey Mysterio. Hey, he dove off. What? That's Rey Mysterio. There's the Cruiserweight Champion, Rey Mysterio. Oh, no. Hey. Oh, head first into the trailer in the back. He threw him like he was a dart. Arn Anderson, the first man we saw down. All six wrestlers have left the ring. This match is going to be a double countout. What match? The Macho hey, Man. He's on the... The Macho Man is on the limousine. I'm trying to get the sunroof. Oh my God. I don't know if we can. The Macho Man is grabbing through the limousine. I told you he's nuts. And people this are standing is, here. I don't, this we, is too much. Where's all the security we had here? All right, let's listen in. Let's just. There's Mysterio. There's the American males are getting. Oh my God. We apparently have some very serious injuries. Eddie! And we have to take a break? Eddie, what happened? All right, let's, let's take a break. What's he saying? What's he saying? He grabs a camera guy and yells, Bring the camera, please. I need help. So I guess there's some kind of emergency that only filming is able to solve. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's his first instinct. He runs out. He needs help, and he's like, "I got to get a cameraman." It's so stupid. <laughs> right. He then yells that the outsiders are in the back and heads off with the camera guy in tow. Did he say the outsiders are in the back? Asked Tony. <laughs> the who is where? Asks Larry. <laughs> Action is still <laughs> taking place in the ring. Luger is currently dominating Flair, but Jimmy jumps up onto the apron, trying to get the attention of the six men currently wrestling. Finally, he manages to get the attention of Luger, which is kind of a nice... I, maybe this wasn't intentional, but I like that he got Luger's attention since they have a past relationship. Mm -hmm. where And they didn't really have a bad breakup. Luger was just kind of like, you're not my manager anymore. And Jimmy Hart was like, well, okay, I'll miss you, Lex. Like, <laughs> so I kind of like that there was like a little <laughs> bit of connection still there. Yeah, it was a mutual breakup that was totally <laughs> mutual. Uh, so he gets the attention of Luger, and whatever he tells him is convincing because Lex, Sting, and Randy all run off. The camera then cuts to the back where Nash and Hall are in a parking lot. A limo is parked nearby, and they're outside of what appears to be a large production truck. It actually turns out to be like a dressing room. I, I wasn't really sure at the time. Mm -hmm. It's basically like a huge trailer, and uh, I believe it's supposed to be the babyface locker room is, is inside there. Arn Anderson lays splayed out on the concrete, concrete, and an American male, who turns out to be Bagwell, is laying there clutching his knee. I say it turns out to be big because I just could not tell at first. Yeah. I was like, that's definitely a male, an American male. <laughs> right. The outsiders are holding aluminum bats, which they drop as Hall gives Bagwell a like just disrespectful little kick. Riggs runs out of the truck. <laughs> he yeah. sees Bagwell on the ground with Hall over him. He chooses <laughs> to completely ignore Hall and Ash and just stands over Bagwell and goes, Marcus! <laughs> <laughs> and it cracked me up <laughs> something fierce. It was so it funny. Was when he came out, he was looking around. You could just, you could just feel like the hamster wheel turning in his mind. Like, wait, so if he's down, 
<laughs> and he doesn't want to be down. You know, you and I, uh, back in college, we did improv together. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember, but it was a thing with me and some of my friends. I think it kind of started from uh, a guy named Andy Busum. Uh, that if we needed to come up with a fake male character who was not in the scene, oh, we yep. would always call him Marcus. Marcus, yeah. So I don't know. It was just him staring going, Marcus, that like really got me good. Yeah. <laughs> Nash grabs a nearby huge water jug, like a a Culligan, you know, a big office-size water container. Okay. I think it's made of glass, but it might just be plastic. And he lamps rigs with it. Mysterio comes out of the trailer and tries to leap off of a railing. That's There's some steps that go up into the door. Yeah. So they've got a railing, and he leaps off the top onto Nash, but Nash catches him and throws him face first into the side of the trailer like, as is pointed out by Larry, a dart. Yes. <laughs> uh, now, that's one of the most famous moments in Nitro history, Yeah. I think you could say pretty mm-hmm. safely. And it's it looks brutal. Yeah. He's a huge guy holding a tiny guy. He throws him face first into this thing. There is no way for Ray to control his fall. Yes. He yeah. just tumbles down and his legs kind of swing under him and they kind of swing under the trailer because it's Ray, you know, it's raised so there's space under it. Mm-hmm. So he's just careening. He's lucky that he didn't blow out his knee for one of the millionth times uh, or get a massive concussion or something. Right. Um, it's it's a, I, there's a reason it's a famous moment. It looks great. Yeah. Yeah. I made a note that 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 that's the lawn dart moment is people like to call it the lawn dart. But uh yeah, it's it's soup it's considering it's just like uh they just brought the cameraman it's just like everything plays out perfectly. It looks great. Tony tells us that all six men from the tag match have left the ring and we hear the bell, uh so this one is officially a double countout. We're still in the back though and we see the outsiders climb into a limo and as it pulls off, the macho man runs over to it and jumps on the roof. And it drives off with Macho Man on top, I guess, just trying to break in through the sunroof of the car. Yeah, well, the sunroof was open, so he's able to kind of, like, hold on there. And and to me, this seemed like Macho Man was improvising. And then since it's like, well, I'm holding on now, it's still going, so I might as well just hold on. Yeah, it <laughs> looks dangerous as hell. And actually, right. uh, I don't think it was anything substantial, but, but Disney was not very happy with uh, this segment. Um, not only, uh, it wasn't the violence per se, although I think, uh, allegedly, I don't know if this is true or if this is just folklore that started to become its own legend, but that people who sort of saw what was going on were calling 911 as if it was a real thing that was happening, a real attack. Oh, sure. Uh, but I think Disney was also concerned that, like, it's supposed to be a wrestling show and these guys are doing, like, stunts. They're untrained stunt people on Disney property. Yeah. Jumping on limo roofs and riding around. Like, that's right. not what we signed up for yeah. when we said you could have your little wrestling show here. Right. No, it's the kind of thing where it's like if WCW heard that they're mad about the segment, they think it's probably about the violence, but it's more like no, you had a guy riding on the roof of a limo as it drove away. Yeah. That's Aren't, very dangerous. It's like a very bad impression like that a good guy does that. So maybe, hey, maybe a kid could be like Macho Man. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Uh, it is complete pandemonium now, with the Horseman and Sting and Lex showing up to survey the damage. Mongo is hilariously screaming at the top of his lungs. That like the they're just showing up and they're like sad that their friends are hurt, and I don't know what he's screaming, mm-hmm. but it's mostly just like how mad he is. I guess he's just in a primal rage. Yeah, he seems a little amped up tonight. Uh, Eddie Guerrero is also back there tending to Rey Mysterio, and Sting asks if if Mysterio is saying anything about the attack. And Eddie ominously replies, he said there's four of them. Mm -hmm. And we go to commercial. 
Uh, so this is we'll keep talking about it because it, it picks up after the break. But so far, what are you thinking of uh, this angle? Because this is this is a pretty huge angle here. Um. Yeah, I think. I, yeah, I think it, it's a, a good way to kind of make the outsiders look dangerous again, besides just like being pranksters, because they, they've kind of done that role the last couple of weeks of like covering up the WCW sign and, and interfering with like uh, production and stuff like that. So giving a reminder that they that they kind of play by their own rules and don't really care if they injure people, um, I think is effective. Eventually, I'll be I'll be saying I'll be thinking like this segment's way too long. Yes, yeah, we'll get to that point. But mm-hmm. I agree that everything we've seen so far, um, it looks like a really, really hideous attack. And the way that you've got faces and heels standing around sort of in common bonds against, you know, and, and that will, I think, eventually wear thin with the NW because we give them credit for that a lot, for making this stuff seem real. Mm-hmm. Eventually, that's going to, you're going to get diminishing returns, but it still works for now. Yeah. Um, the novelty of six men in a heated match against each other dropping the match to go deal with this other thing Mm -hmm. like during the fucking match that's pretty cool yeah and also it's like a little thing but i felt like it was really effective once they got back to the back um backstage and the attack already happened and that they like like, i know hall dropped the aluminum bat yeah and you kind of get like the clang on the ground yeah and it's just like kind of a reminder it's like that's a heavy weapon that he used and i thought like just getting that like little extra emphasis there i thought that was really cool um, and also just the idea that, um, I mean, look at the guys that they attack. They're, they're not associated besides like the American males are a tag team. It's right. It's them, Ray Mysterio and Arn Anderson guys that are not associated with each other. So it's not even like a focus attack on like right. the dungeon of doom or something like that. So I thought that was also like who they picked out made it look like it was like, we just, we just attacked the four guys we saw. Right. And, and I think that was also very effective on just like kind of picking these random guys pretty much. Yeah, and you'll notice because, it, uh, you know, uh, Riggs, Arn, and Ray all were in matches that were announced for later in the show. So it's very clear that they've done an effective job of picking victims who then will not be on the show later. And so you'll constantly be reinforced throughout the program. Mm. Oh, that's r- like, wow, they, they it makes it seem like they decimated even more people than they did because every match from here on out is effective. Yeah, okay. Now I mean, now that I'm thinking of it, maybe the idea was that, like, that they picked out particular guys that had matches because they wanted to fuck with the show. That could be. Um, I I could see it go either way. I mean, sure. to me, to me, it felt like the fact that they were attacking guys that weren't associated with each other suggested that they could attack anyone at any time. And I, I felt like that was the effective the effective way to play out that story. But yeah, I mean, now that I think of it, I could see it being like these guys have matches later. Oh nope, they're not going to have matches anymore. <laughs> As we come back to the show, Arn Anderson is in a lot of pain as the doctor checks him out. Woman is cradling his head and wailing as if he's dying in her arms in like the streets of Sarajevo or something. I was I said that the overacting by the wrestlers and the announcers make it look like the aftermath of a terrorist attack. Yes, absolutely. It is insanely like she is she's crying like he is on death's door. And 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 I know this is before the Owen Hart incident, but they kind of got that that Owen Hart voice. Oh, of sure, like, yeah, the quiet. Like, oh God, this is this is pretty serious. Yeah, I'm guys. not doing my wrestling character of Tony Schiavone. This is the man. <laughs> yeah, right. this is Anthony Schiavone. Whatever. <laughs> Tony Tony somberly tells us that the outsiders are two of the biggest cowards he's ever seen. 
We stay on the side of Arn for an uncomfortably long time before cutting to Bagwell, who is being told by medics not to move his knee as Sting and Lex look on. A fire truck shows up and we pan over to see Riggs still completely unconscious, which seems like more people should be paying attention to him because he <laughs> <Right>. might be dead. <laughs> uh, and other wrestlers we can see have shown up now include Alex Wright and Meng. Mm-hmm. We cut to Mysterio, who is holding his face in pain as Eddie grills him about seeing four people uh, and Alex Wright yells for an ambulance. An ambulance does arrive as Larry and Tony start talking about this four men thing. Hall and Nash are obvious, and I guess Hogan's going to be getting credit for being part of this angle right. when he clearly was not here for Nitro this week. Right. But he's okay, so I guess he's there too. Uh, so the fourth man is the mystery. And they make it clear. That's kind of clear through the announcing. They're like, okay, well, Hall, Nash, and Hogan. So they kind of fill in for you. Like, you're not supposed to be wondering who the other two men are. We're telling you it's Hogan, even though you didn't see him. Right. And you're just supposed to be wondering who the fourth one is. And, and maybe just to make things a little bit clearer, like later on they give the impression that, that all four were there, like the other two were in the limo. Sure. Arn is loaded onto a stretcher as Mongo yells more shit in his face, including, hang in there, Arn! Hang in there, baby! <laughs> that, that just makes him, like, a little bit closer to death. <laughs> it's having the opposite effect. <laughs> Ray is fitted with a neck brace as Eddie and Alex Wright keep vacillating between consoling him and interrogating him. <laughs> and they don't really know how to improv this very well, so they keep right. just being like, okay, you're going to be okay. Four? There were four? Right. Okay, so you're going to be fine. There were four guys that, like, they just repeat the same questions over yeah. and over and over again. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, they're taking wrestlers that, like, do promos, but they're having them do, like, not only acting, but, like, improv acting, which is just, like... Someone like Alex Wright doesn't seem like that's no. up his alley. It's, like, and it's in his second language. Like, he's at an even more of a disadvantage. Right. And yeah, and like Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio. Just, like, all the people that English is their secondary language are, like, having to carry this whole thing. Tony says the fourth guy could be anybody. But Larry says that this guy is talking in Spanish, and he's not even sure what he's hearing. 90% of what he's just heard is in English. It's been very clear. I don't know right. why. He, it's just he gets mad about people talking in Spanish. Yeah. No, I mean that that that's uh there's nothing more to say to that. He just <laughs> he just like he's like, you know, I just haven't said anything kind of racist yeah. for a while, so let me just mention the fact uh, that these guys are they speak Spanish. He's like, I didn't press two for Espanol. <laughs> just fuck off. <laughs> I think there's be- <laughs> Okay. The medics take Ray's mask off and he hides his face with his hands as Tony talks about just how serious the symbolism of that is. Mm-hmm. Ray gets carted off and Alex Wright goes with him. Eddie tries to come too, but Alex says that Eddie has a match, and so he'll handle it. Then they argue more about, what do you mean by four? <laughs> like, guys, we got it. We all, there's four. It's fine. <laughs> he, he means there's four guys. Like, wh- what's the confusion there? Well, I don't, like, that, it would have made more sense if he was asking, like, who the fourth person was. Right. But well, and the announcers have been clear, like, at least Tony, I guess, since he understands Spanish, has been clear that, it's he's referring to four like the announcers know what they're talking about minutes ago. So the fact that the guys who are right there talking to Ray are still like, I don't know. Right. Four, it just <laughs> makes him look really stupid. Yeah. Riggs is then shown and he's in a neck brace and he's still selling it like he's been legitimately murdered. <laughs> Meng just starts shouting in Tongan, like just kind of at nobody and uh-huh. about nothing. Mm-hmm. And Benoit gets pissed at him because like, hey, these guys are hurt. Like, what are you doing? Just running around yelling into the air about nothing. And they start, like, having a little stare down, and Meng, like, laughs inappropriately. Like, it's very weird. I guess mm. Meng is just being like, 
his whole attitude is like, I'm Meng. I don't give a shit who got hurt. Meng didn't get hurt. Ha ha ha. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's, he just, he's being a real dick, I guess. I also like, I like the idea that, that Benoit took offense because he knows Tongan. <laughs> yes. He's like, what did you say? And also just <laughs> the idea of like those two guys getting in each other's faces. I'm yeah. like, I would love to see that match of those guys just wailing on each other. Oh, that would be good. And also, it, I mean, it, it does kind of bring back the whole Dungeon of Doom horseman thing because maybe the idea of like of him coming out and maybe maybe he's making fun of Arn Anderson being hurt and he's yeah. taking offense to that. Meng's also not on the card, but he's wandering around shirtless in like a pair of shorts and then like penny loafers without any socks on. <laughs> it's a very it's I, I mean it's scary because it's weird and Meng is already so scary that like Meng in a weird outfit you're like. God, if I saw him, I'd laugh, but then he'd kill me for laughing. <laughs> right. How would I handle that? <laughs> oh, now he's laughing. Is he, <laughs> is he trying to make me laugh? <laughs> yeah, Meng is like the villain in a thing who starts laughing, and then you laugh with him, hoping it doesn't turn into him punching you. <laughs> but it does. Punching if you're lucky. <laughs> uh, we then cut back to Tony and Larry. Tony apologizes and says they have no idea what they're going to do for the rest of the show. We then go to commercial as we see Riggs being fitted with an oxygen mask. After commercial... It's a, it's a bit over the top. <laughs> After the commercial, Larry and Tony have now been joined by Heenan and Bischoff as we're actually all the way into hour two this has been going on so long. Yeah, this segment is really long. Just hang with, hang with us. All right, we're, we're, we're back, and this is the point where we usually send it to the second hour. Eric is out here, and Bobby Heenan. Here we are. Tony, I'll I tell you what. You saw what you saw. We saw it from back here, and it's... It's yeah, scary. Stop right now. Let me get something straight here right now, Eric. I, I'm not going to do a, a wrestling interview. I'm talking to you man-to-man, face-to-face. I have a history of neck injuries. You know that. If you get a shot of this, I have nerve damage in my hand. Eric, the job isn't worth it to me to be out here. They almost broke your back a couple weeks ago. You saw what just happened out back. There's bodies all over the place. I'm not going to do the broadcast tonight unless somebody can guarantee me security. Somebody can guarantee me that my, I physically won't be hurt. Can you do that? Bobby, I can't guarantee you anything right now. You do what you feel you have to do. Well, I have to walk away from this. My health and my well-being, I'm not going to be crippled and paralyzed for the rest of my life. Look, I'm not they gonna, can't I'm be not going to argue with you here. I'm not going to argue with you, Bobby. You do what you have to do. Guys, I'm going to need a little help here, if you don't mind. I, Eric, I, don't, I tell you what, buddy, these wheels are falling off here. Can we go back and take a look once again, maybe, at what's going on back well, there? I think we need to. I mean, as, as horrible as these things look, Eric, we need to. As, as you can see, you know, and unfortunately, the crowd around us, I guess. Bobby Heenan addresses Eric Bischoff and says that he doesn't want to do a, quote, wrestling interview, but instead wants to talk to him man to man. He says that he has a history of neck problems and nerve damage, pointing at a discolored spot on his hand that I guess is a result of some of that nerve damage. He says that the Outsiders almost broke Bischoff's back before, referring back to the Great American Bash. Mm -hmm. And so Bobby will not call the show tonight unless he can be absolutely guaranteed that he will be safe. Eric can't give him that guarantee and tells Bobby to do, quote, whatever you have to do. So Bobby walks off. Mm -hmm. And I really like the way that Bischoff sells this. He's like a dick boss where he's like, well... The vice president is really going to give me shit if this guy breaks his neck. So I got to let him go. But he's being like a pansy about it. So mm -hmm. he doesn't just say, hey, Bobby, I understand you're free to take the night off. He's like, 
hey man, whatever you have to do, like <laughs> he really makes it seem like you're being a big fucking pussy, but whatever. <laughs> right. I, I really liked it and it just made sense with how I picture Bischoff as a real boss. Mm-hmm. I was like, I bet that is how he would feel if all of this were real. That's yeah. how Bischoff would feel. Yeah. It's like when when you know you have to like call in sick or something like that, but you yeah. want to make sure it's okay that you have a sick day and they give you like that indirect answer where you're like, I don't know if it's going to be a problem or not, though. That's yeah, not really an answer. Yeah. Like, they're like, well, if you are if you have to stay home, you have to do what you have to do. It's like, yes. oh, no, that's that makes it worse. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's kind of what I thought with, with him. It's just like, hey, you could decide not to show up to work for today. Yeah. That's your thing, Bobby. <laughs> Heels and baby faces mingle together as Arn is finally put on a stretcher. Eric talks about Mysterio, saying that there were four of them, except he not only calls Mysterio Eddie Guerrero, but, quote, little Eddie Guerrero. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe he actually thinks Rey Mysterio's nickname is Little Eddie Guerrero. (laughs) He's like, get that uh, that cruiserweight champion kid. What's his name? Little Eddie Guerrero. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) This also sends, like, like, there's, like, an effect that this has in which during the rest of the show... Everyone mixes those two guys' names oh, sure. up for the rest of the show. Bischoff says that they need to get the show moving, but Tony points up the American males were up next. Word comes from the back that they are frantically working to get a match together. <laughs> a pretty loud, boring chant finally starts up, and I do not blame this Florida crowd. Mm-hmm. Eric uh, is actually pretty smart. He talks about how anxious the crowd is, and he says these guys paid to see good wrestling, but uh, they aren't able to see what's going on. So he's kind of telling you, like, hey, I get why these guys are chanting boring, and, and I would too, and God, if they only knew what was in the back, they they would just, their <laughs> hearts would really go out. Like, he's kind of keeping the crowd baby face in a right. weird way. He's like, in their defense, if they, <laughs> saw, if they saw, like, the bloody carnage backstage. If they knew Scotty Riggs was clinging to life <laughs> right. in an ambulance. I mean, Arn Anderson is dead, by the way. <laughs> Let's make that clear. Yeah, he died of a knee injury. <laughs> and... <laughs> Woman was by his side. <laughs> Flair watches Arn get loaded into an ambulance, and I am definitely starting to just lose interest at this point. Right. It was a really good segment. I get it, but it is just really, like, way too long now. Mm-hmm. The crowd is chanting something else, but I can't quite make it out. Uh, Sting watches Bagwell go to his ambulance, as Tony tells us that Sting and Bagwell are longtime friends, even if they don't do much together on television. Yeah, and <laughs> and they mentioned that it's like, that he goes to the same gym as Sting and Luger, but he says it in like that really solemn voice. <laughs> <laughs> that gym was two days away from retirement. <laughs> Bischoff finally says that after this commercial, we will get a match. Hooray! We indeed go to commercial, and when we come back, there's like these really annoying alarm klaxons sounding, just that like, yeah. and I hate any fucking theme that does that. I hate Diesel's theme. Mm-hmm. I hate... When Cesaro's had the siren, annoying sounds are annoying, and I don't want to hear them. Yeah. The alarms are apparently, for our standby wrestlers, high voltage. Oh, right. Yeah, look at these guys. And they come out to face the Steiners. Uh, They're replacing the American males, and Bischoff tells us that it's high voltage's WCW debut, but that's not remotely true, as we saw these guys on (laughs) Nitro before. (laughs) Right. Losing to Megan Barbarian back on June 3rd, which wasn't even 10 episodes ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it also it does seem like they're heels now, so maybe they're repackaged, and this is the new and improved high voltage. It's like they're debuting all over again. <laughs> uh, we talked about it before; they're just a couple 
body guys out of the power plant. Mm -hmm. There's nothing really to set them apart that I've seen so far, but hey, we'll go through the match. (laughs) Out next are the number one contenders to Harlem Heat's tag team titles, the Steiner Brothers. They come out selling, being distracted and upset with Rick. He occasionally like looks over his shoulder and then acts like he's just going to walk away to the back. Yeah. I don't know if he's going to walk all the way to his car and then follow the ambulance. Like, all the guys <laughs> are gone. I don't know what he keeps thinking he's going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, here to call all the action for this match is our own dog face gremlin. <laughs> I didn't even write that down ahead of time. <laughs> uh, Dave Amador. All right. <laughs> then I had to think about what your name was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the American Males were supposed to be in this match, but this I feel like this is a good change because I've seen a lot of the American Males on Nitro, and just getting someone else different, even if it is high voltage and they're not that great, it's just a different type of match. So I'm like, oh, okay, this is kind of a good change, you know, getting getting more of a unique matchup. Um, but that being said, this match will probably suck considering who's in it. Oh, yeah. Um, and then I made a note that Rick Steiner is sad and concerned, but also still barking. Because he, he looks towards <laughs> yes. the back, but then he then he starts barking again. So it's just like I don't I don't know how to feel about it where his mindset's at right now. Okay, so Scott Steiner begins a match with Kenny Chaos as Rick stands at ringside, watching in case someone comes from the back from comes out from the back to sneak attack them. So he's like actually not he's on the floor, kind of looking around, uh, not not being focused. After a hip toss, Scott admonishes his brother for not paying attention, which gets Rick to least kneel on the ring apron. So <laughs> he meets him halfway. Aww. After Scott takes Kenny down with the hammer lock, he shouts at Rick, who once again dropped from the apron and is looking all concerned again. So Scott, it's just every second he has to go look at Rick and make sure he's paying attention. And I whip and Scott takes Kenny down with the shoulder block while Rick jumps over to the, I think he was on the apron, and then he jumped over to the other side. Uh, Scott shouts at him as fireworks explode off <laughs> yes, screen. Yes, they sure do. <laughs> Which, okay. Scott body slams Kenny and jumps out of the ring to give uh, Rick a pep talk as more fireworks go off. There's a really weird, like, aesthetic going on right yeah. now where it's like, there's a lot of things going on. I don't really get what's happening. Yeah, and I'm not... Maybe those are like Disney World fireworks that like WCW has no control over, or they're really late on the hour two fireworks. That could be. Maybe that they idea- had they had paid for all the hour two fireworks and then they laid out this segment. Yeah, and we're like, oh, but we we did buy all those fireworks. Well, it's like it's like when the Steiner brothers wrestled. That'll be the beginning of hour two, and that's when you do yeah. the fireworks. But then the segment backstage took a long time. And so when they came, when Steiners came out, it was much later, but they're still like, oh, that's our cue. Yeah, it could be. Um, after the pep talk, this at least gets Rick onto the apron where Scott tags him in. Uh, and Rick barks before <laughs> he barks and then starts pointing at the entrance and arguing with Scott about <laughs> something. That gives Kenny Chaos an opening he's been waiting for. Uh, after exchanging blows, Kenny tags in Robbie Rage. And together they hit Rick with a tandem dropkick. Uh, they take turns dropping elbows on Rick before teaming up for a tandem suplex, which Kenny messes up by not hooking his arm around Rick's head, which, you know, if you think about it, is the entirety of the setup for a suplex. <laughs> so the one thing that Kenny had to do, he fucked it up. Yeah. Uh, Rage is back in, and after a body slam, he heads to the top and drops Rick with a flying shoulder tackle, which only gains him a one count. K- Kenny Chaos is now tagged back in, but his aerial attack is thwarted by a Steiner slam. 
Scott is tagged in and levels both members of High Voltage with clotheslines. You know, like uh, the type of show that Say by the Bell is, like that level of shitty, cheap Saturday morning kind of show. Mm-hmm. If that level of show had a wrestling character in one episode, like there was an episode where they went to the wrestling show and they got to meet one of the wrestlers. Yeah. That wrestler would be named something like Kenny Chaos or Robbie Rage. Yeah. Like yeah. those are total like wrestler on a show that's written by someone who doesn't know about wrestling. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, so Scott hits Robbie Rage with a tilt-a-whirl slam and a double underhook suplex before tagging back in Rick um, then I think I missed a couple things here but then Scott <laughs> eventually hits Robbie Rage with an inverted suplex he turns into a pile driver that looks like it could have murdered Robbie Rage it is the Steiner screwdriver a okay. move he performed a lot in Japan but not so much in America because I don't think anyone here was stupid enough to take it but he fouled Robbie Rage yeah. and Robbie's like go for it man somehow that move has not killed anybody because I looked <laughs> it I looked I tried to find if there were like injuries from it because it's relying on his timing like mm-hmm. a lot to just not kill somebody. Yeah. And I guess he's got the timing because it looks, I mean, I don't like moves like that because I don't want people to break their goddamn necks, but it mm-hmm. looks incredible. Yeah. It looks so good. Yeah. Um. So anyway, the Steiner screwdriver is obviously enough for the one, two, three victory uh, for the brothers Steiner who are continuing uh, their momentum towards uh, Hogwild for their tag team title match. And also showing that, like, even if they're really distracted, they can still at least beat High Voltage. <laughs> um, and then we learned that um, instead of Rey Mysterio Jr. facing Eddie Guerrero, we're getting Big Bubba. I don't know if you get more opposite of Mysterio. Mm. And but I feel like this is the, the, the cruelest thing the outsiders have done to WCW <laughs> so far. Before that, we go to break and after the announcers uh, chat for a bit. And I guess maybe I didn't make it clear. Uh, now that I'm thinking about it. Uh, but Tony and Larry stick around with Bischoff. So after Bobby walks off, he's like, well, I'm going to need help, guys. So it's a three-man booth with with that odd kind of pairing yeah. for the rest of the show. I don't think, as far as I know, I don't think we get that particular trio on Nitro again. Oh, I have no idea. I have no idea. Yeah, well, I guess we'll... Uh, ooh, on the edge of your seat for that one, <laughs> folks. Anyway, after the commercial, the announcers just kind of chat. They don't really say anything important. Mm -hmm. They're just wasting time. Everything is wasting time at this point. Yeah. Dave Penzer announces Big Bubba, who comes out accompanied by Jimmy Hart. Eddie Guerrero is out next, and he's also doing a little bit of the uh, distracted, sad face that Rick Steiner was doing. Right. Although not nearly to the degree that he was doing it. Mm -hmm. Uh, We go to commercial again, and as we fade, Bischoff goes... Come on, Eddie, show us what you got. And Tony <laughs> replies, don't worry, he will. And then Larry chimes in with, new world odor. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like I'm making it up, but that's exactly what happened. <laughs> that's like a verbatim? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> we come back from a uh, commercial and we go right to the action. And here to call all of it is our own Dave Amador. All right. Oh, I'm sorry. I know I just tossed it to you, but there's something I do want to say before we get into this. Mm -hmm. So Eddie in two weeks is going for the U.S. title. Yep. What would have happened if he'd beat Ray for the cruiserweight title? I was kind of thinking that too. I was like, so he'd just be one champion and double. I don't know. Yeah. Would Flair have to try to lose weight in order to get both belts? If he could like, (laughs) it's just sort of, it, 
shows that they really never had. I mean, of course they didn't, but there was never any intent of having that match because that match doesn't make sense. Right. They could have said it was a non-title match, but they actually specified that it was for the cruiserweight title. Yeah. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't know. I was trying to think of that, and and then I was a little bit confused because I thought that we, this was the last one before Hog Wild, but yeah, we got one. Ooh, one more. One more. Yeah. Okay, so um. I wanted to mention that Dave Penzer announced this as a standby contest. So don't get your hopes up, folks. <laughs> right. And also, Eddie Guerrero got a ton of fireworks, too. Yeah. So uh, they're making sure to use up that budget every week. Um, like you said, we went to commercial break, and when we return, Eddie Guerrero has a headlock on Big Bubba before the bell even rings. So Big Bubba really at a disadvantage from the get-go. Uh, whip off the ropes and Bubba levels Eddie with a shoulder block before slapping the shit out of him and tossing him out of the ring. There's going to be a lot of that. Bubba just slapping him up. Uh, Eddie, though, he quickly slides back into the ring while Bubba is taunting and blindsides Bubba with a slap of his own. A dropkick sends Bubba to the outside and Eddie goes to the top. But once he realized that Bubba was not going to turn around to take a plancha, then he just like jumps back into the mat, uh, jumps back onto the mat. And uh, I noted that Larry actually compliments Eddie for that smart decision. Actually compliments Eddie for that smart decision. And he also did so without saying anything racist. Hey, you did it. <laughs> Back in the ring, a collar and elbow tie-up is followed by an exchange of wrist locks before Bubba tosses Eddie into the air and slams him hard onto the mat. Bubba again then slaps the shit out of <laughs> down Eddie Guerrero. Eddie, you probably really wishes that Ray Mysterio was not being up. <laughs> Bubba press slams Eddie and drops him neck first onto the top rope as we learn that the Giant will still defend the title tonight against question mark. Uh -huh. uh, nonchalant cover only gets a two count for Big Bubba. Um, he then lifts Eddie onto his shoulder, uh, but Eddie sends uh, Bubba chest first into the corner before dropping him with a side suplex. Uh, this, this gives uh, Bubba to time to kind of fuck around with his boot which I realized has the pant leg tucked in. This is the same leg that he tore off part of the pants on a previous Nitro, and mm -hmm. I think that instead of getting new pants, he just tucked in the torn part so you wouldn't notice it. Amazing. And to me, that's really gross. <laughs> that's carny as shit. <laughs> right. Anyway, uh, Bubba is climbing away at Eddie Guerrero's face, um, and Eddie tries to mount a comeback with a dropkick, but Bubba quickly recovers and levels Eddie with a clothesline, in which he gets another two count. And I don't know if you can catch on to this, but Bubba pretty much is determining that Eddie's not going to have a lot of offense in this match, which is unfortunate because Bubba really is not the kind of guy that should be like carrying a match. Yeah. Because he he just he doesn't have any sort of like direction of flow of a match. He just here's a move. Okay, I'm gonna go to this other move. So <laughs> strap in for the rest of this one, folks. Eddie, Eddie again tries a rally with gut punches, but Bubba drops him and applies a camel clutch. Uh, suddenly, Bubba thinks of himself a mat technician, slapping on a leg scissors and continuing to wrench away on Eddie's neck. Again, in the style of 1996 WCW, he loses interest in the submission hold and just releases it instead of waiting. Yep. And then Bubba whips Eddie into the far corner and hits a splash. Again with a nonchalant cover and again only gets two. Bubba grabs Eddie by the throat and pushes him into the corner before grabbing him by the throat and pushing him into the corner of the other side of the ring. And uh, again, I said, Big Bubba should not be held responsible for dictating the pace of the match. 
And as soon as I said that, he get, grabs a bear hug, and when he realizes he doesn't want to do a bear hug, he floats it over to a spine buster for two. As Eddie sneaks in a small package for a two count, Eric Bischoff says there's conversation in the back that, quote, national news is trying to get information about the outsider's attack. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> also, uh, I, I don't really remember where in the match it was, so I'm just going to throw it in now as long as we're talking about Bischoff. Mm-hmm. He goes in a very long speech during this match about how bad it was that Ray was unmasked. Uh, oh, sure. And how the NWA... He means NWO, but yep. he says NWA. Mm-hmm. How they took away Eddie's wrestling, or excuse me, Ray's wrestling soul. Now I'm switching up Ray and Eddie. Yeah. Uh, but he says that they took away Mysterio's wrestling soul. And like really talks about how just huge it was that they that his mask was removed because of the NWO. And that's pretty fucking ironic coming from Eric Bischoff. Right. Given, uh, you know, you know. Okay, <laughs> right. um, okay. Okay, where were we at? Oh, that's right. Bubba was chopping and punching away. <laughs> before uh, before giving an extreme close-up of his very sweaty face at one of the cameras. Um, I don't remember what he says, but he then just goes over to Eddie on the mat and drapes a leg across his ne- neck and uh, then slaps on the headlock. Back on their feet, Eddie attempts a cross-body block, but Bubba catches him and slams him on the mat because Eddie Guerrero can't get any offense in this. Uh, Bubba sets Eddie on the top rope, but Eddie kicks aw- kicks him away uh, furiously before eventually hooking him up for Tornado DDT. Eddie is fired up now, so Jimmy Hart jumps on the apron as Bubba tosses Guerrero to the outside. Now we get some real shenanigans going on as Jimmy tosses the megaphone to the ring. Bubba tries to catch it, but he misses it. Once he misses it, he tries to make sure that Eddie grabs it by, by kind of pitching it behind oh, yeah, between yeah. his legs. Eddie did not catch on that he was supposed to grab that. So then he goes for a sunset flip and Bubba thinking like, well, the megaphone's here. So he grabs the megaphone just so he can comically throw it in the air as he goes (laughs) over for a sunset flip, uh, which actually gets Eddie Guerrero the pinfall victory. So (laughs) it's just Bubba had a very clear idea how this match should end. Eddie Guerrero had a very clear idea how this match should end as well. They were not matching up those endings. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was that or if Jimmy Hart's throw was so bad and then they just decided to... They each decided on a different, like, improv ending. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, he, he, his idea was, like... I could see what Big Bubba wanted to do was, like, I missed it so Eddie can take it and hit me with the megaphone. But Eddie Guerrero just wasn't... Eddie's thing on. was, like, they tried to interfere, but... The throw was bad, so I got the pin anyway. Right. You know, seemed like. Or maybe Eddie's thing was just like, it got fucked up, so let's ignore it. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it's so. That, I mean, I hope you realize how punishing it was to do the play-by-play for that. Because <laughs> that match was fucking brutal. Yeah, it was it like was, over seven minutes of just wasting time. It was just Bubba on the offense. And after he did like every other move. You could tell he's thinking, like, what's the next thing I should do? Yeah. And so then he'd be like, uh, potty slam or headlock or chin lock and just went on and on and on. Larry says that Bubba had this match won until Jimmy Hart made a mistake trying to cheat. So he's just saying, like, hey, Bubba was winning. Why would you cheat anyway? Mm. Uh, and he blames it on everyone being distracted tonight, which I kind of like the way that they linked that into the, uh, you know, the overall message of the show. Yeah. We go to commercial and... 
I don't know. Maybe it's just because there's not as many matches or something. It seems like there's twice as many commercial breaks this week yeah. than normal. Yeah, it does. The commercial break happens to include one very special advertisement. The following announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. You know, it's a tough job, but somebody's got to do it. People are wondering who's going to be next. Don't call us, we'll call you. Yeah, it's invitation only there, chicos. What do you talk about the money? You talk about beating people up? Well, it's a new world order, and I hope it's okay, because there's nothing you can do about it. That's right. Power, fame, <laughs> money, and now our own corporation. You know, think about it. N-W-O. We're new. We're taking over world championship wrestling, and we're giving all the orders. It's the new way. Is that okay, billionaire Ted? You don't like it? Come and fight. Is WCW even going to fight or we just going to take it? We make the choices. Wait for the call. <laughs> you know, billionaire Ted, with all of Ted's horses and all of Ted's men, you're not going to be able to put the WCW back together again. I see it like this. Everybody wants to know who is next. Look at the third man we deliver. Everybody wants to know who's going to be four, who's going to be five. Is it another outsider? Or is it somebody right in the CNN center? We don't need you. We don't want you. We'll take you when we want you. These WCW guys, this Sting and Lex, they got soft. They living in Billionaire Ted's Country Club. Take a look at us. We have to fight, scratch, and claw for everything we got. And boys, we want you. I think the whole world wants to know one thing about Lex Luger. Hey, Lex. What do you bitch? What do you bitch, Lex? You guys know something. I almost forgot something that's really important. On August 10th, I'm wrestling the Giants. Oh. I forgot. It slipped my mind. I mean, the WCW heavyweight title is on the line. That means, gentlemen, in one given night, we get to beat up the best that the WCW has, gentlemen. I find it quite ironic that the WCW could be so weak to beg, to plead, to cry out to the giant that he's their last hope, that he's their only chance of surviving the wrath of the NWO. On August the 10th, hog wild, brother, on that night, the outsiders become the insiders, and with 500,000 Harley Davison's by their side, the NWO will establish itself as the greatest wrestling organization on the earth, brother. You know, in Sturgis, me and the big man, we're gonna take care of a little grudge match. You know, Sting, you painted face punk, you've been whining and crying about how much you want us. 
You get your partner, you get Luger, you two punks, you get all pumped up, and chicos, you want us, don't sing it. Great. We call it Armageddon. The genesis has begun. It's a new beginning, the beginning of the new world order. And on one given night, as you two amigos destroy the top talent in the WCW, the giant shall crumble and fall at Hulk Hogan's feet. The preceding announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. For the first time ever, we hear the soon-to-be-everywhere strains of the NWO music, and a voiceover reads the words we can see on the screen. The following announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. The, world, the words New World Order are inside the famous logo for the group, a rectangle with graffiti-like letters spelling out lowercase n, capital W, lowercase o, and New World Order written below it. A big part I've noticed of the NWO's branding is, for some reason, uh, they just randomly capitalized the letters at the beginning of some words. Like, it's never the word at the beginning of the sentence, but it might be like, the third word in the sentence it starts with a capital W for whatever reason. Oh. It's just like a thing they do to mm -hmm. be like random and weird, you know? Okay. Edgy. Nothing is edgy like misusing capitalization. <laughs> right. Uh, so I'm going to kind of, it's hard to describe this because there's so many cuts. Yeah. So I'm going to describe the overall look of it and then I'll describe some of the choice lines and moments from it. Mm -hmm. So the entire thing is in black and white and it's all extremely quick MTV style editing, uh, which... That used to mean something in the 90s, but now no one watches MTV anymore and everything edits like that. Mm -hmm. Modern day WWE is fucking a cut every two and a half seconds. Yeah. But back then, this was a lot of goddamn cuts. Mm -hmm. uh, it's all like Hall, Hogan and Nash standing around and you can see them. They're doing like promos in front of a big screen that's playing their footage of them. Mm -hmm. And at times it's like filmed like a normal promo, but at times it starts from different angles where you can see like the lighting rigs. You can actually kind of see a little peek behind the curtain of like, it almost looks like a uh, behind the scenes featurette kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, it, it's very, very cool. Um, Hogan is still doing a lot of over the top shtick mm -hmm. during it, but Hall and Nash are exuding like they're too cool for this bullshit. Yeah. And uh, sometimes like the frame rate slows down. Sometimes it speeds up. Sometimes they switch it to like negative view. So the colors are inverted. So everything that is black is actually white now. Yeah. They're just kind of like, well, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about sort of what went into that. We start with Hogan declaring that it's a tough job, but somebody's got to do it. Huh. Nash and Hall tell the rest of the roster that the group is invite only. Nash says that they have power, fame, glory, and now their own corporation. Yeah. And Nash, his attitude and like his bearing is very cool, but when he talks, it's still wooden as shit. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> he almost needs to get to that point where he just doesn't give a fuck anymore before he like actually shows the charisma with his words that, like, he does with the rest of his attitude. Mm -hmm. Hall points to the name New World Order, saying that the group is new, they're taking over World Championship Wrestling, and they're giving all the orders. He wonders if WCW is going to fight or if the NWO will just have to take it. Hogan then does some weird prancing and doing some nursery rhymes about how all of Ted's horses and all of his men, etc., 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 while Hall and Nash two-sweet each other behind him. <laughs> Hall tries to deliver some lines about who the next man could be, but Hogan is doing this cartoonish villain laughing. Yes, yes. It's, it's so distracting and fucking funny. <laughs> yes. Then we see all three men are in the shadows with the NWO logo being projected onto Hulk's, uh, Hulk's chest from like a light off screen. Mm -hmm. That looks really cool. 
And Hulk says that they don't need anybody, but when they want to take somebody, they'll take who they want, when they want. Nash says the whole world wants to know one thing about Lex, and then mockingly asks, What do you bench, Lex? What do you bench? (laughs) Which, God, if you want to get to Lex Luger, just pretend to give a shit about weightlifting, but really you don't. (laughs) It's very funny. (laughs) Hogan then laughs and says that he almost forgot that he's wrestling the Giant soon for the title. Hogan thinks it's ironic that WCW is so weak as to beg the Giant to wrestle him. I don't know how that's ironic that WCW would ask the Giant to handle it, but okay. (laughs) Hogan promises on August 10th that the Outsiders will become the Insiders, and with 500,000 Broomba Harley (laughs) Davidsons in attendance, he literally does that. 500,000 Broomba. Uh, By the way, that's twice as many bikers at Sturgis that Bischoff has been quoting. He's been saying 250,000 every time. Hogan just bumps that up to 500,000 for no reason. Uh, But with all those guys in attendance, the NWO will establish itself as the greatest wrestling organization on Earth. Hall says that he and Nash will settle a grudge match. Hogan promises that the giant will crumble and fall at his feet, and we're told again that the preceding announcement was paid for by the New World Order. Now, those uh, segments, which will become pretty friggin' famous too, just up there with the Ray Laundart thing, mm-hmm. uh, those were the the product of Eric Bischoff and WCW producer Neil Pruitt. Uh, Pruitt being kind of primarily responsible for the look and feel of the promos. Uh, and he also supplied the voice at the beginning of the promo, saying that that was who paid for it. So oh, if you're ever okay. wondering who the voice of the NWO was, it was WCW producer Neil Pruitt. Pruitt says that the reason behind the quick cuts and random editing was partially based on the idea that the NWO wouldn't have good production guys because they're a brand new like company just starting up. Hmm. So he said it would be almost like kids just jamming buttons on the editing board. And holy shit, that's exactly what it looks like. <laughs> it looks like stuff that I would make in video production class in high school when we just got our hands on the deck and we're like, oh, look, you can do this star wipe. And we would just do everything. Yeah. Like your first video would just have every single thing it was capable of doing. Uh-huh. But there's also another region allegedly for the cuts. Uh, Kevin Nash says in this following clip uh, that I'll play here from the nwo documentary that you can find in the wwe network in the beyond the ring section sure i remember the first time we did an interview and we went down to the universal and this is what created the snippet interviews was they we went down there and like scott and i had already determined like for the eight to ten weeks that was just the outsiders that we were gonna be real. We weren't gonna scream, we weren't gonna cut wrestling promos. And then we go down there and he said, he, he rambled for like four and a half minutes of like old school wrestling. And he said, right guys, we went, whatever. And I walked outside and I, I sat down, and I said, I looked at Scott and I said, this isn't gonna work. I said, this is, this is, this is, this feels Memphis to me. This feels like this is wrestling. Like we kind of got something going that's kind of feels organic and this is wrestling. So uh, one of the guys in, in, in the production, um, he said, I, he said, I can make it work. He said, I'll just, I'll just do sound bites. I'll do black and white and I'll do sound bites. I'll just be bang, 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 bang. He says, I'll make it work. Uh, as you can hear there, he says that uh, 
Hulk Hogan basically they they had an agreement him and Hall to be like as natural and, and as cool as possible, and then they came in to do this, and Hogan just did a five minute long boring cliche wrestling promo. Mm-hmm. And so the only way to make it cool and presentable and go with the aesthetic of the NWO was to chop the shit out of it and make that little music video that they ended up producing. Yeah. And uh, if that's true, I mean, either way, all credit to Neil Pruitt because it does come out. It's completely unlike any promo you've ever seen in wrestling. Yep. Not all of it ages well, and Hogan is downright goofy in a lot of it, but it is, it's fucking cool. And in 96, this would have been, like, even cooler. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's – uh, and, and like, I, I don't know if I mentioned it in previous – episode but this is also the the debut of the hollywood hogan uh brown beard black beard with the oh with yeah the mustache you're right. you're right which i even though it's like it doesn't make sense like it looks cool it as looks hell. so cool yeah i love that black beard and, and mustache it's hilarious now i mean now that, i mean i feel like the way that they if they, they edited and chopped it up it seems like just like a crazy over the top like I'm a supervillain now sort of thing. Yeah, and I love the idea that they bought time on TNT to air this, and there was just, like, nothing WCW or Ted Turner could do about it. Right, and they kind of go, like, when you talk about, like, being a corporation, it's like, yeah, we have the money to get an advertisement and put it on your network. What are you going to do about it? So, yeah, I think I think it was really cool, and it's also, I think it's a really effective way, especially if you're going to have Hogan, where he's not be able to show up every week, but you can still have an appearance by him. Yes. Uh, back in Florida, Tony says that it's now just him and Larry as Eric, whom he acknowledges as being executive vice president of the company, has other situations to deal with. And Larry says he thinks that Eric has gone to the hospital to check on the injured wrestlers. Tony tells new viewers what happened earlier and why he and Larry are, quote, literally in a state of shock. They vamp for a few minutes, wasting more fucking time, Talking about the NWO. We also get a short video recap of the entire segment from earlier, in case you're just joining us. <laughs> right. When that's finally over, Tony reminds us that Arn Anderson was supposed to get a shot at the Giants title tonight. But of course, with Arn injured, we need a replacement. Larry talks about how Arn must have worked in politics to get himself that match over whoever the number one contender is. Uh, but it just wasn't to be. And out comes Arn Anderson's replacement. And oh, fuck, it's Greg <laughs> Shovelface Valentine. <laughs> <laughs> out next is the heavyweight champion of the world the giant accompanied as always by jimmy hart he's given some very squeaky pyro it's like little squeaky wheels oh, of sparks yeah. and they just Whee! yeah they're very loud <laughs> and uh, he's all business although he's greeted by the crowd with mostly cheers which is good because he's supposed to be a baby face against hulk right now yeah i i've been kind of surprised how easily they they went in that direction especially since most of the time, the giant hasn't been doing face things right, in the ring. Yeah. He's been beating up whoever he wants, and and the idea of like the um, anti hero is not like really popular yet in wrestling. But the, it seems like everyone's like, oh yeah, are we cheering for the giant now? Cool. I mean, I think people always do love a huge guy who kills people. You know what I mean? And, and like, people that's just, always over. People always like to cheer for winners too, and he's the champ. So yes, that's true. After the break, oh yeah, because of course we get another commercial before yeah. this match. <laughs> Uh, Valentine and Giant lock up with Giant eagerly, with Giant easily powering Gregors to the ground. Greg gets a punch and some chops and then comes off the rope with a couple clotheslines that rock the Giant. But a third one is met with a forearm from the big man that sends Seattle's ugliest son to the ground again. 
Giant gets a clubbering bow to the black and chokes the dog-faced human with his boot in the corner as Tony <laughs> expresses disgust with the way that Hogan talked about the title in his little commercial earlier. Mm. Uh, like the title was an afterthought. <laughs> you, you really came up with some of these <laughs> with some gems here to describe the hammer. Giant nails an Irish whip but misses a corner splash when sentient brown rice in a Ziploc bag moves out of the way. <laughs> God's lamest mistake heads to the top rope and gets a double <laughs> axe handle on the giant and then goes for another. But this time the giant locks on the choke while shoe leather left in the Mojave Desert before being adorned with a wig soaked in cat urine is sitting on the top turnbuckle. Good lord. <laughs> choke slam, scream to the crowd, choke slam number two for good measure, one, two, three, <laughs> and this one's all over. What was the, the, what was the sentient... Brown. Uh, sentient brown rice in a Ziploc bag. <laughs> wow. And, uh, Qual- that's quality. Yeah, and uh, shoe leather left in the Mojave Desert before being adorned with a wig soaked in cat urine. <laughs> it's it's a fitting description. I've decided that I'm just going all in with hating Greg Valentine. <laughs> like, right. I'm a, I'm getting rid of my journalistic uh, objectivity. Yeah, you, you just had your heel turn on Greg Valentine. <laughs> he doesn't know it, but... Yeah, so that that went about as well as it should have went for Greg Valentine. Yeah, it was a squash and a squash it should have been, and that's fine for everybody involved. Mm-hmm. Tony says twice uh, that nobody gets up from the choke slam, and I'm suddenly very afraid that Hogan is getting up from a choke slam on <laughs> August 10th. <laughs> Giant finds a camera and addresses Hollywood Hogan, telling him to pay attention and listen real close to the promo he's about to cut with Mean Gene, which we get after some replays. Uh, during the replays, by the way, Larry makes the New World Odor joke again. I believe, yeah, that's definitely the last one for tonight because then uh, Tony signs off for him and Larry as we're going to end with this promo. Okay. All right, guys, I thank you very much. We are concluding this evening one of the, I guess, most different two hours that I've ever been part of. Of course, what happened at the beginning of this program, a little different tenor here at the conclusion. As I talk to the man who's the WCW heavyweight champion of the world, he is the giant... And in short order, on Saturday, August the 10th, at Hogwild, this man is going to be facing Hollywood Hulk Hogan and his new world order. Well, you know something, Mean Gene? I've been to the top of the mountain, brother. I've walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Wait a minute. Have you lost your marbles, Giant? That's a knockoff on Hogan. (laughs) No, I just wanted to explain to you people at home how easy it is to fall into that con trap. Because you know, that's exactly what Hulk Hogan did. He conned America. He told America what they wanted to hear. He made them believe in what they needed to believe in. The problem was, is he didn't believe in it himself. He comes along now in WCW with his two piranhas. He started the NWO because he knew he could never be the big fish in WCW. Right here in WCW, I have beaten the finest athletes in the world. While you're making movies, I'm defending this title with every bit of honor in my body. You want your new world order? Your two piranhas? This is WCW. I guarantee you, WCW, if we don't hang together, we all will hang separately. Hogan, I've got a choke slam noose that's gonna fit just right around your neck. Uh, yeah!
All right, perhaps a little bonding on the part of the superstars in World Championship Wrestling. Quickly, Jimmy Hart, before we leave the air. Mean Gene, you've known me for most of my professional wrestling career. I eat and sleep professional wrestling 24 hours a day. Sometimes I lie so much, I believe what I'm lying about myself. And one day I'll have to pay for the things I've done. But I promise you this, and Hogwild Hogan will take you out. Thank you, and good night from Orlando, everybody. Gene hypes the pay-per-view as Giant flexes like Hogan. Giant then cuts a mocking old-school Hogan promo about the mountaintop, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, etc. Gene asks if he's gone nuts, and and Giant says no. He just wanted to demonstrate how easy it is to believe in that con which Hogan perpetrated on America by telling them exactly what they wanted to hear. He says that Hogan started the NWO because he knew without his two piranhas, he would never be the biggest name in WCW. Giant then rallies the WCW organization and tells Hogan that he has a chokeslam noose that he's going to fit right around Hogan's neck. Jimmy Hart. (laughs) This Jimmy Hart promo is amazing. Jimmy Hart then says that he eats and sleeps wrestling and he lies so much that sometimes he believes his own lies and one day he may have to pay for the things he's done. (laughs) But he promises Hogan that at Hog Wild, they will take him out. That's just so weird. He's just like... Hey, I'm Jimmy Hart, and I know you hate me, and gosh, I do need to reckon with all of my sins. <laughs> <laughs> that being said... But the giant is going to beat Hulk Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Gene says goodbye as the crowd cheers very mildly, because they've been through a lot tonight. Yeah. There was 35 minutes where they sat there looking at nothing, uh, and we see another replay of Mysterio darting from earlier. Yeah. That's like the, the closing image is a freeze frame yeah. of Ray <gasps> just after impact. <laughs> Wow, so that was Nitro. What did you think of the show? Weird week this week. Yeah, what the fuck, man? It's just that, I mean, they they just killed the entire pace of the show with that segment. I mean, they they very, they very made a deliberate choice to go all in. Yeah. They were like, this is it this week. Everything else is going to be in service to this one thing. Mm-hmm. We don't care how the crowd feels about it. We're just, we're doing this one thing, and we hope we did it well. And I'd say, given that we still talk about most of these moments, that even though there were times when it dragged mm-hmm. and criticisms I could make, I would think overall this was a major success. I would think that this angle played on television really, really well. Yes. In our Raw recap, Psycho Sid defeated Justin Bradshaw. Vader defeated Mark Miro. Ah. Davy Boy Smith defeated Henry Godwin. And Steve Austin defeated The Undertaker via countout when The Undertaker left the ring to go chase mankind. (laughs) In our ratings roundup, Raw got a 2.1, and Nitro got a 3.0 with a 3.2 first hour and a 2.9 second hour. So still a decline in the second hour. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing people saw that angle and were like, well, the NWO aren't going to be coming back, so I've seen the big thing. Yeah. Uh, But the replay of Nitro got a 1.7, which is a record high. So that would suggest that a lot of people were told by their friends, like, you got to watch Nitro. Yeah. They had this big attack. It was it, crazy. It was fucked up, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I now want to uh, go over to our wrestling news, which I'm now I decided to dub the observe this. This is a rag sheet segment. Oh, OK. Maybe just observe this. The ob- <laughs> this is the observe this segment. Uh Meltzer starts off this issue of The Observer with a discussion on how the various revenue streams of both companies are faring in 1996 compared to the year prior. 
Both companies have roughly doubled their house show earnings over 1995's number, although WCW is only about half as much as WWF's. WWF's average cable rating has fallen, though not much, and WCW's has risen, though not much. Interestingly, pay-per-view is also down for both companies so far through the year, with WCW going from a 0.75 buy rate and an average of 2.1 million in estimated revenue per pay-per-view in 95 to a 0.56 buy rate and a $1.62 million average in 96. So whereas companies are putting more and more emphasis on ratings and pay-per-view, right now live touring is actually one of their most profitable revenue streams for both companies, with WCW going from barely running house shows to doing very good numbers uh, touring with Flair and Savage at the top of the cards. Meltzer also says that Nash and Hall jumping from WWF to WCW is the best thing that could have happened to wrestling as a whole, which I 100% agree with. And we'll see the boom period that it stokes. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's kind of irrefutable. Now, the fact that eventually some of those factors are what kills WCW ends up being what's worse for wrestling as a whole. Right. But we're going to get there in uh, five years or so. Yeah. (laughs) Give us time. Oh, yeah. Give the show five years. Give you and me like 23 years. Yep. (laughs) Dave also talks about how the WWF has decided that beginning in September, they will no longer compensate local stations who air WWF syndicated programming. Paying stations to air WWF programming was a major tool that McMahon used to kill the territories when he went national. So this is actually a pretty big deal Mm -hmm. that would leave WWF vulnerable in many markets where WCW, in theory, could come in and pay those same local stations, and then suddenly those stations were showing WWF, and now they're showing WCW. Hmm. So that's huge. Already, thanks to syndication, WCW is available in 6.49 million homes, and the WWF in only 3.92 million. Uh, So WCW is, despite being watched on average slightly higher, it's actually way more available. In other news, off in Japan, Kenta Kobashi, perhaps the greatest in-ring worker in the world as of 1996, just secured his first singles championship on July 24th, becoming All Japan's Triple Crown champion, which is their version of the world championship. Despite Kobashi's sterling reputation, uh, this was still a pretty shocking win because All Japan was on a very seniority-based system and he was still kind of a new guy behind three or four other big names. Sure. So that's, uh, that's huge. This is not going to be a name a lot of people are familiar with, but I thought this story was pretty incredible. Uh, eccentric promoter Herb Abrams died as he lived, destroying furniture in his office while naked, coked up, and covered in baby oil. <laughs> Police were called about an emotionally disturbed person going on a spree bashing up furniture on several floors of an office building with a baseball bat and pulling fire alarms at random. Police arrived at about 10 minutes later and found Herb, a- Herb Abrams naked, covered in baby oil, and with two scared women in his office. They handcuffed him, and he died shortly later in their custody, presumably of an overdose. Police indeed found cocaine and Valium in his system. They had found Abrams with cocaine in his office before back in April when he was allegedly holding a woman hostage and robbing her, and he was charged in that incident with unlawful imprisonment, assault, and attempted rape. Holding... A woman hostage? Yeah, this was a different one back uh, in April. Oh, I, I was instead of it's not woman. Oh, <laughs> I <laughs> no. think that needs to be no, clarified. no, no, a woman. Okay, a woman. <laughs> uh, Abrams was a longtime wrestling fan in New York, dating back to the days of superstar Billy Graham and Bruno Sammartino. He ran a clothing store and burst onto the wrestling scene in 1989 when he showed up at a fan convention 
announcing the formation of his new federation that he said was going to put the WWF out of business. He named a list of wrestlers, uh, many of whom he had not ever spoken with, that were going to headline for his fledgling group, including Bruiser Brody, who had died a year earlier. (laughs) Go on. And he said that his booker would be Blackjack Mulligan, who who at the time was serving a life sentence for counterfeiting. He claimed to have signed exclusive contracts with many of the top stars in all Japan who do not work in America right. at this period. Yeah. And he says that he would be he'd be nice and loan them to Japan during their time off. Somehow, despite clearly being a bullshitter who was just making a lot of stuff up, he did manage to get on uh, television with his show in several cable markets. And he had some huge talent, including Steve Williams, Dr. Death. Uh, Bam Bam Bigelow and Paul Orndorff, and at one point his television commentator was Bruno Sammartino. Wow! Uh, but he did not tend to pay people, so it kind of fell apart quickly. And was this like was this the UWF? Yeah, the UWF, the Universal Wrestling Federation, which was formed in 1990, uh, and it lasted bizarrely until 94. But I think it would like come and go during mm-hmm. all that. Oh, and uh, the Wikipedia article for him that I'm just looking at now says the two women in his office were prostitutes. Oh, okay. And he had cocaine stuck all over his body, which, as I mentioned, was covered in Vaseline. (laughs) Cocaine stuck all over his body. Wow. Died as he lived. (laughs) Uh, This past week, although we would never know it from watching the show, the WCW tag titles changed hands twice. The Steiners beat Harlem Heat at a house show on Wednesday in Cincinnati and then dropped them to the Heat on Saturday uh, in Dayton, Ohio. Yeah, I remember. And those are canonical. Yeah, and I, I always remember that because uh, the first one was on my birthday. Oh, July 24th, 1996. I always, I, anytime there's a title change on my birthday, I always kind of like, it's always in the back of my mind, like, oh, yeah, that's right. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's upcoming house shows uh, for WCW on August 16th and 17th that have been canceled because WCW has a pay-per-view on August 10th Nitro on the 12th, and then Clash of the Champions on August 15th. <laughs> so, like, maybe a break would be good. Yeah, so they decided to uh, cut those house shows and try to spare their guys a little bit. How, how does so how does that happen, though? How Didn't they realize when they scheduled that they had all those shows? That's a great question. I don't <laughs> have an answer for you. It's crazy to have a pay-per-view and a clash in the same week as each other. Yeah. Because, <laughs> <laughs> all right, if the 10th is Saturday... The 15th has to be, like, I'm so bad at counting. It's got to be, like, Thursday or Friday, right? Uh, 10th Saturday, 11th Sunday, 12th Monday. Yeah, Thursday. Monday. Yeah, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. so that's insane to have them that close. Right. Uh, in other WWF news, Ahmed Johnson has suffered a kidney injury that Dave Meltzer thinks will only keep him out for a few weeks, but it ends up costing Johnson several months. He'll miss SummerSlam and... Uh, and a WWF heavyweight championship match that he was supposed to have on Raw the night after, and he has to vacate his Intercontinental title. Uh, this is really where the trajectory of Ahmed Johnson, who was on like a lightning, uh, a lightning bolt. He was he was on a rocket he was, he ship. Was, he he was, was on a rocket ship to the moon. He was on a jet fueled rocket ship <laughs> on the way to the moon, <laughs> where the belt lives. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That sounds right. <laughs> anyway, he's got a kidney injury, and I just note it because it's, I mean, he was a rising star. Uh, he certainly wasn't good, but he was a right, I mean, he was way over. And so he was scheduled for a title match the night after SummerSlam? Yeah, he had already earned that through some other means. <sighs> Boy, we missed out on Shawn Michaels versus Ahmed Johnson for the title? Yeah. 
in the other guy's champion too? That seems like that would be something that be would have been memorable if that actually had happened. Uh, rumors are, Dave's not sure, but it's said that the Steiner brothers have signed a new long-term deal, so they'll be sticking around WCW for a while. Mm-hmm. Nash and Hall have been facing Sting and Luger on the house shows this past week with the Outsiders picking up DQ wins uh, where the ref catches Sting with a chair that he had actually taken off Kevin Nash. Oh, so, so, so Hall and Nash are wrestling house shows. They okay. are, yep, yeah. yep. Mark Henry, a young Olympic weightlifter, has himself a WWF contract and is expected to debut with the organization around September. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, he. I know that he, at that SummerSlam, he's going to like show up and like wave to the crowd and all that stuff. So There's no official announcement out of WWF about the Ultimate Warrior, but they have severed all ties with some of his outside projects that they had co-licensed, including a comic book. So Dave presumes that the relationship between the WWF and the Warrior is dead. Uh, so that's really all of the news that we've got in our Observe This segment. I want like a sound effect like, oh, observe. Oh, I'll just take Hogan going Observe This from yeah. that show. No, there you go. There, I did it. <laughs> uh, so that leaves only one thing for the night, and that is our segment of the night and our MVP. Uh, Dave, let's start with you, and this time let's start with MVP. Um, I would say I, I want to say the Giant for MVP because I really liked his promo. I like the purpose behind his promo and the fact that, you know, he had a, a shitty match, but um, he looked really, really good and convincing in on his way to facing Hogan, which in theory he should look good and convincing anyway, but seeing that, like, if you're booked against Hogan, it's like an uphill battle. Yeah. But, um, no, I, I really liked his promo. And, um, yeah, so I, I don't feel like there was a lot of guys that looked really great tonight i mean hall and nash looked like badasses but you know that was only for a few moments so i i'm, I'm gonna go with the giant all right i am gonna give my mvp of the night to neil pruitt for giving sort of the look and feel of the nwo uh, promo that we saw and really just the fact that that has become so synonymous with the group mm-hmm. um it's used i mean that style of editing it's uh, ripped off, I think, by Degeneration X when they start cutting it like into their entrance sure. to the yeah. ring. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I think that's just a real, that's a huge watershed moment in wrestling. So I want to give a guy backstage his due and uh, acknowledge him for the good job that he did on that. And for my segment of the night, I'm then going to go with that NWO ad because I do think uh, it was so different from everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's an obvious choice that I figured you would go with, so I wanted to pick something different. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go with the uh, the paid-for announcement by the New World Order. Okay. And uh, I and, yeah, and then I will go with Mike Enos versus... <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, uh, all, we all have fun here. I, <laughs> <laughs> but, I hope uh, we get Enos versus... Uh, um, Greg Valentine at some Ooh, point. Yes. <laughs> but uh, no, then I, I mean, then I'll go with the sneak attack uh, backstage. You know, if you hadn't said the the paid advertisement, I would have, that would have been my other option. And I think, uh, again, what really hurt the backstage thing was how long it went, the aftermath. Yeah. But the actual, like we were talking about the actual, like attack itself was so effective. Its impact on WCW and the NWO storyline is felt like throughout the rest of both of their existence. Um, and, and there's like, you know, the quote unquote, the lawn dart moment, which uh, is one of the more infamous uh, moments in, in WCW's history. So yeah, I, I'll go with that. Um, 
again with the caveat that it went way too long afterwards. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got one more week before we get to Hog Wild. I'm looking forward to being back on the road. These Disney shows are kind of blending together. And mm-hmm. like you said, it feels like we've been here forever. Uh, so it's exciting that next week we're going to go to a different place. But the one place we'll always be is right here where the big boys play. Yeah. And before we, but before, di- whoa, my catchphrase. <laughs> this has never happened before. This is, I'm like a southern bell who's gonna. F- I've got the vapors now oh at this front tree. Yeah. All right. Well, what do you got? I I had planned out a, a shout out for this episode. Um, the the other day, my brother and I well, were hanging out with uh, a friend, Neil Liebenguth. Yes. And he is a big fan of our show. He says that he keeps up with every episode. And he also has a podcast that he appears on. Oh, okay. What's um, that? This one. Is I think ca- I've seen it mentioned on Twitter, but uh, I, I okay. don't know the details. Yeah. Um, it's called Kings of the North. It's a, it's a show that recaps the NFC North every week. And what they have is they have a... For, for those of you, because we have a lot of British listeners and I think some Australian. Oh, sure. Uh, that's, that's American football. That's uh, he's talking about there. Yeah, so the NFC North has the Minnesota Vikings, Green Bay Packers, uh, Chicago Bears, and the Detroit Lions. Regularly, it's uh, a Packers and a Vikings fan that they run it and they, they recap their, um, their respective teams week. Sure. And then uh, Neil shows up whenever any of those teams face Chicago. Oh, okay. He shows up and his his uh, podcast name is The Polis Sausage. Okay. Which, Fitting uh, for Chicago. Yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> you and I, I was telling them that I was going to mention them and I think they're going to return the favor on their next episode. Um, you can find them on uh, a website that's called fireside.fm. Okay. I haven't heard that before, but that's kingsinthenorth.fireside.fm. The most recent one for us would have been week 10, which has Neil on it because... Well, most recent, depending on how quick I edit this show. <laughs> right. The most recent from when we're recording this right, right, right. was week 10, and that one's a pretty good one because they they do some recapping about the XFL. Oh, nice. And they talk about ways in which you could WWE up the NFL. Oh. And so I, I don't want to give anything else away, but it's pretty, it's pretty funny stuff. And uh, yeah, you should check it out if you're into into football or anything like that and neil's a really big wrestling fan so he brings in wrestling whenever he can so um yeah why don't you give you should uh give him a listen at some point i was listening a little bit and they're pretty good all right well that's uh, actually a good reminder for me so i'm glad that you that you did interrupt uh, my my amazing catchphrase earlier <laughs> um and that's that i've got a couple of plugs as well uh first i want to mention that i uh last week recorded an episode of the raw is nitro podcast Mm -hmm. Um, and i think that that'll be dropping any day so perhaps by the time you listen to this you could look at the raw is nitro podcast um, hosted it's it's a show out of australia it's great great show Uh, similar recap show they they look at raw and nitro a lot of weeks their timeline they're behind where we are right now okay um although you know give them a couple months so probably (laughs) fair enough but he also looks at um Shows from different years, and I was actually on to discuss the 1994 SummerSlam along with uh, a, a Clash of Champions that was like the same week. Mm-hmm. So uh, we talked, it was the first rematch of Flair and Hogan after Hogan won the belt from him oh, yeah. in their first match. Mm-hmm. So it happens before the career versus career match at uh, Hall- uh, Halloween Havoc in 94. <laughs> And of that, course, SummerSlam—that's n- definitely the career versus career. Yeah, yeah. All things are final. <laughs> yeah, 
And, uh, of course, that SummerSlam has Undertaker versus Undertaker. Yep. Um, but more importantly, has Owen versus Brett in just a Cracker Jack cage match. So good. It's uh, Cracker Jack is an adjective I'm using. That's not a stipulation. It's not a right. cage full of Cracker Jacks. Which I think would be painful to land on Cracker yes. Jacks. Also, I want to give a shout-out to uh, a show called the so Sultans of Spandex, which is another podcast. Uh, they're, they're doing WWE, excuse me, WCW pay-per-views, mm -hmm. uh, and they have shouted out to us before okay. as being something good that kind of works with their show since they do pay-per-views. We do the Nitros, except we also sometimes do the pay-per-views. But it was yeah. just uh, their, and their show, honestly. Uh, you know, I, I'll plug anybody that's nice to me. You want me to plug your shit, I'll plug your shit. Why not? Like, yeah. That's spread the love. Mm -hmm. But these, I love their show. I actually think their show is really, really good. And it's probably one of the uh, shows I've listened to that feels the most similar to kind of how we're doing it. Okay. Um, and I love myself, so I love people that are like <laughs> me. Uh, so Sultans of Spandex, you can check them out wherever podcasts are sold. Okay. All right. Cool. So I think that is really going to wrap it up. It's a short episode this week. As mm -hmm. We did not have a ton of wrestling to describe. Uh, so we'll give you all that. Uh, yeah, that just kind of shows you when there's, I mean, because we put a lot of emphasis on the in-ring action. And when there's not a lot of in-ring action, it makes for a shorter episode. Yeah, I mean, I could have described with a few more adjectives the many ways in which Arn Anderson said his knee hurt. But I think we, <laughs> right. I think we did it justice. I think we get the point. <laughs> and we will see you next time right here where the big boys play 20 years of Nitro. But what it shows me, Tony, is the new world odor. Well, again, the new world odor. Now, I like to call them the new world odor. You know, and right away, all the cynics start pointing their fingers at Ric Flair like he was going to Benedict Arnold to the new world odor. Right there, I'd like to see it happen to Hulk Hogan and the new world odor, too, Tony. Right after this quick timeout, come on, Eddie. Show us what you got, buddy. Show oh, us what you got. Don't worry, he will. New world odor.